And we are live once again. Thank you guys for coming. So I had a couple of interesting things I wanted to talk about. Um, first, I wanted to talk about my history with drug addiction because it's been a long time since I've talked about that. Now, I have addressed this on my main channel. I did a video on the 12-step program and how harmful it is, uh, how unproductive it is, actually. Um, it's kind of an older video. I, I really need to go back and redo it. But I did talk about my history with drug addiction in that video. And uh, so I figured I'd give you guys a little bit of kind of a primer on, on my history with it. When I left Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, I didn't really have anywhere to go. So I ended up climbing in the window of this girl I knew in high school. Uh, she's actually helping me run the podcast now. Um, I climbed in her window. I lived in her room, her bedroom, for like three weeks. Most of you have heard this story. Her family took me in after that. They took care of me. They fed me and clothed me, and they became my family in place of the family who abandoned me. Uh, now, dealing with that stuff, I, I did end up getting into drugs. I ended up, I started out by smoking weed, and I have some very specific thoughts on weed, and I, I really don't think that, if it's not legal, you really, I don't think that people should be smoking it, if it's not legal. Like I said, I was a pothead at one point, um... And actually, when I went to San Francisco, I did take some edibles. So I'm not completely against it. At all. In fact, I'm not against it at all. What I'm against is taking it where it's not legal to take it. Um, part of the reason for that is because being around the people who you have to be around to get weed illegally... Uh, puts you around other drugs, other illegal drugs. Now, if it were legal, if it were in dispensaries all through the country, that wouldn't be an issue. But it is. So, I am actually against, you know, any drug use at all. Alcohol included, honestly. Um, and, but weed is an exception as long as it's legal. That, that's my view on it. So, anyways, I was smoking weed and things like that when I was younger. I think I was about 18, 19 years old. And eventually I started getting into harder stuff. I started getting into like Oxycontin and eventually heroin and things like that. And obviously, as happens when you get into drugs like that, things go downhill really quickly. It, it basically just took a nosedive into the ground at that point. Uh, my entire life did. Um, and the family who took me in did not have to continue taking care of me through that, but they did anyways. They saw me through addiction, and they saw Crate through addiction too. Well, time passes, we end up getting clean, and, uh, you know, and here we are, but what ended up, uh, the, the thing is, when we were trying to get clean, we didn't have anything to help us out, really. We were trying to find out about these programs in the area, these, you know, 12-step programs or whatever, anything to help us get clean. And we heard about this drug called Suboxone, and it was supposed to help you get off of opiates, right? So we ended up taking Suboxone, and it was like a miracle drug. It worked. It, it got us clean, both of us. At that point in our lives, I think we actually kind of parted ways mostly, Crate and I, um, Kylie's mom and I, we parted ways. She got a boyfriend, I got a, I got a girlfriend, you know, we just diverged when we got clean. But, you know, we got clean as a result of Suboxone, and I can't say enough good things about what that medicine has done for me. Uh, let me just explain what it is. So with opiates specifically there are bear with me here because some of this you know I, I i'm speaking off the top of my head this isn't 100 percent accurate probably so you should go research it yourself but uh, as far as i know there are four opioid receptors in your brain each receptor 
handles a different thing. So one of them handles addiction. One of them handles um, the physical body high that you get. Another handles the brain change that you experience, things like that. And different opiates affect different receptors. So for example, if something is a partial opioid agonist, what that means is it's only affecting, it's not affecting all four of those receptors. If it's a full opioid agonist, I think, or full opioid antagonist, then it's affecting all four. Uh, so the drugs that we were taking were full opioid antagonists. Uh, and Suboxone is a partial opioid agonist. So what it does is uh, our brains got used to experiencing the high from Oxycontin or heroin or whatever it is, right? It got used to having those four receptors filled with that drug. And then when we started taking Suboxone, Suboxone actually only affects one receptor, and that is the addiction receptor. So literally, the only thing that the drug does is prevent us from feeling withdrawal symptoms. That's it. And, you know, we weren't getting high off of it. Uh, we weren't just blowing all of our money, just trying to keep from being sick anymore. It was like we could actually find some level of stability in our lives. So I can't possibly advocate for this drug enough. It, it has really done really good things for me in my life. And when people say it's replacing one drug for another, on some level that's true, but I'm a tax-paying member of society at this point. And I'm not an addict. I'm not, I'm not living like an addict. I'm not, you know, doing anything I can to get money. I'm not, I, I can hold down a job now. Um, you know, I pay taxes. I rent a house. I have a car take care of my daughter, drive her to school every morning. I'm not an addict for all intents and purposes. I'm not. And that is one of the things that really bothers me about NA and AA is the fact that they, they are very hyper-religious. It was created by a church. It's based around God. And they're trying to move away from religion a little bit now. But that's its roots. Its roots are God. Its roots are religion. And they, it's not based in science at all. Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous is not based in science. It's based in religion. That is it. That's the bottom line. That's what bothers me about it. They have these ideas about addiction that are just incorrect. They're just factually incorrect. They have this idea that once an addict, always an addict. And you should always be on guard and prepared and, and always thinking about it. No, I don't believe that. I'm not an addict anymore. I was an addict at one point in my life, and now I'm not. I don't want to or need to think about addiction anymore if I don't want to. That part of my life is past, and I can move on without it. Continuing to think about myself as an addict is actively harmful to me. So I reject this notion that I once an addict, always an addict. The, this idea that NA and AA puts forth. Basically, all of their ideas like that, all of the, their whole philosophy, their whole ideology is based on religion and not science. And that, that is a huge problem. So there are secular programs that you can go to that do not go through NA or AA. You don't have to go through those systems. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure that those have helped people. I know they've helped people, NA and AA. I know they have. And for those people, I'm really glad to hear that that helped. I'm glad that you and I both found our way out of addiction. But it's not based in science, and I'd like to find something that is. I want to find something that, that is statistically productive. NA and AA are statistically unproductive. Uh, they have really bad numbers. And the reason for that, ultimately, uh, this is about the end of the bit on NA and AA, but just this one last point on it. 
They're, they're trying to replace the drug with God. They're trying to put God in the brain in that place instead of the drug. If you looked at the 12 steps, which one of these days I will. In fact, I may do another video on it on my main channel. You'll see that that's exactly what they're doing. That's what they're trying to do. So, so I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard me talk about the BITE model. Um, the BITE model, it's an acronym. It stands for Behavior, Information, Thought, and Emotion Control. BITE, B-I-T-E. And it's this model we use to, for lack of a better term, determine if something is a cult, right? I've been using it on my main channel for a long time. But actually, some people may not know that there's more than just the cult bite model or the bite model of mind control. In addition to the bite model for cults, there's also the human trafficking uh, bite model and the terrorism bite model. Uh, apparently, this is actually a legitimately really big issue in the U.S. I had no idea, and actually all over the world, human trafficking. Um, and Stephen Hassan is one of my personal heroes. The guy is incredible. He wrote this book called Combating Cult Mind Control. And actually, he's written four books, I believe, or three, and he's coming out with a fourth. And he was basically a member of the Moonies back in, like, the 1970s. Uh, the Moonies was a cult around back then, run by Sun Myung Moon. And I think it was a Korean cult. And, uh, well, anyway, he ended up escaping this cult and just diving headfirst into this field of extremism research. And wrote this whole book back in, I think, the late 80s, maybe the early 90s wrote this whole book about his experience called Combating Cult Mind Control and outlined all of the things that he sees, that he noticed that this group does, that other groups that were similar to it did. Um, and eventually he went on to write the BITE model. Um, he's just a really amazing guy. He's done a lot of amazing work. And check this out. This is what actually got my attention and made me decide to, uh, to talk about him today. I googled Stephen Hassan's books He's got a new book coming out called The Cult of Trump. A leading cult expert explains how the president uses mind control. I honestly don't think that I would be that daring to outright say that, you know, president just come out against Trump like that. Uh, but, you know, he's probably put an awful lot of thought into it. He's probably, I mean, this is his life's work. He is an expert in the field. You guys think I'm an expert? This guy is an expert. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, he is pushing the field forward, and I am standing on his shoulders. So if he believes that Trump is using mind control, a.k.a. undue influence, then I'm inclined to believe that he, he may be onto something, and I'm willing to take a look. I'm willing to give it a read and see what he has to say. Um, as far as I know, that book actually comes out in August, I think. Yeah, August 6th is uh, when it's supposed to release. I'm going to have that thing on pre-order. That's going to be interesting. Unfortunately, he doesn't really release his books on audiobook. Um, Combating Cult Mind Control is on audiobook, and I just re-downloaded it today, and I'm going to give it another read. But yeah, the other, the other two are not on audiobooks. disappointing to me. Hopefully, they'll put them on there. But anyway, um, honestly, I can see wh where he's coming from with this Trump using mind control. Um, when people hear the word mind control, they view it as kind of this mystical murky thing that they don't really understand. But really, mind control is basically synonymous with something called undue influence. And undue influence is a word or a term, a phrase, that Stephen Hassan coined, I believe. Uh, it's basically unfairly influencing somebody when they don't have the understanding or the knowledge necessary to make an informed decision. You just look up undue influence. It says, influence by which a person is induced to act otherwise than by their own free will or without adequate attention to the consequences. So you can 
convince a 10-year-old that they should get baptized as a Jehovah's Witness, and they will tell you until they're blue in the face that it's their choice and they want to, and they're not being influenced, and that's what they want to do for the rest of their life, but they have no understanding of the consequences. They have no idea. They've been influenced to the core through that whole process, and that's what undue influence is. Whether the person realizes it or not, they're being influenced. They're being controlled. That is what mind control is, influencing people to make a choice or feel a certain way about something without understanding what the consequences are, even if they insist that they do. So, yeah, that's the term that Stephen Hassan coined. Um, and going back to the, the, you know, the, the cult of Trump, a leading cult expert uh, explains how the president uses mind control. Just look at it that way. A leading cult expert explains how the president uses undue influence. Do you feel like at any point Trump uh, convinces people of something, uh, convinces them that one way is the correct way or this is the best idea without them really understanding what the consequences are of that choice? Uh, Do you see any of that? I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I feel personally, I feel like Trump is just a big dumb idiot that it's just along for the ride. And people are pulling the strings in the background, making choices and convincing him to do this thing or that thing. That's just the way I see it. I don't know if that's correct or not. I don't think that he's a big mastermind, honestly. That's my issue. And just based off of the title of this guy's book, just off the title alone, I'm getting the impression that it's implying that he's this mastermind. I, I'm just going to have trouble accepting that. So anyway, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting book either way. Like I said, I'm going to give it a read and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give it a chance because this guy is the leading expert in the field. If he says there's something to it, then I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'm not going to dismiss it out of hand. Do you guys have any questions? Uh, Crate, do we have questions or anything? Unfortunately, Crate's audio cut out again. So I'll read this one question. The question was, did I have any experience with other Jehovah's Witnesses after leaving the religion outside of my parents? Um, I have had a couple of experiences with my old best friend, Sean. I knew the kid since we were like eight, okay? Um, we grew up together. Now, we weren't always friends, exactly, but we knew each other. I'd go to his house sometimes, you know, I stayed over once or twice, but he had other things going on, I had other things going on, until we turned about 16, and then we became best friends. We were inseparable. We hung out together all the time, and finally, when I ended up kind of separating myself from Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever, once I got this fellowshiped, uh, he just dropped, dropped off the face of the earth and that was the end of it. So you could say that that's one experience that I've had with Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, outside my parents. I lost my best friend, Sean, and that hurts and it always will. But, um, aside from that, I've also been to a few meetings since then, like one or two, like Jehovah's Witness meetings. And when I went in, the Jehovah's Witnesses are not supposed to talk to me because I am disfellowshipped. That's the rule, right? Usually they will pick a single elder that is allowed to talk to me and ask me if I need literature, if I need a Bible, if I need a magazine or whatever. Just if I need some kind of script, like some kind of materials or whatever. Um, otherwise he doesn't talk to me. That's it. Uh, but when I went, the last meeting that I went to, I went in and the elder designate gave me a Bible and a magazine. I sit down and after the meeting ended, I I had sat behind Sean's parents. I don't think I've ever told this story on my channel. I sat behind Sean's parents. And when the meeting ended, I stood up and they stood up and they looked at me and his dad shook my hand, but didn't say a word. His mom didn't say a word. It was the saddest shit I've ever experienced. Um, 
because I grew up with them too. But anyways, uh, there was one Jehovah's Witness that actually this older woman who's probably in her 70s, she actually just walked straight up to me and talked to me. She's like, hey, you think about coming back? I was like, uh, I, I don't, probably not. She's like, well, why not? Kind of pushy, you know, just breaking the rules overtly right in front of everybody to try to get me to come back. Uh, it was an honorable effort, but she has no idea who I am. <laughs> uh, I am an apostate to the core, and I take pride in it. If she had known that, she wouldn't have, even, she wouldn't, they wouldn't have let me in the kingdom hall for fear Satan would have gotten in. Kind of funny to look back on it now. Anyway, yeah, that story's over. Uh, did you have another question for me? Okay, so the second question is, uh, have you ever been so broken that you never thought you could go deeper, but you still managed to? Yeah, I have. Um, you know, this whole Jehovah's Witness thing, I thought for sure broke me. Just losing my friends and my family like, like I did really sucks. It's the kind of thing that is hard to understand unless you experience it. And I didn't know that I would ever recover from that, really. But I am recovering from it. I mean, it's always going to be in the back of my head. I was uh, there's a another Jehovah's Witness YouTuber um, who I've talked to a couple of times. He's smaller, but he was on Twitter the other day, and he said something like he had a shower thought. Every event in his life from here on is going to be sad. His parents aren't going to be at his wedding. He's not. Go he's going to receive a message that they've passed away through text. He's not going to be allowed to attend their memorial or their funeral. Every event for the rest of his life is going to be sad. And that's true. Uh, it is a constant reminder. Every major event in your life is a constant reminder of this painful shit. Um, but I am as over it as anybody can possibly be at this point in my life. Uh, I have family who cares for me now. I mean, I have people around me who care for me. I don't need that family anymore. I don't need them anymore. But I still talk about it on my channel, like my main channel. I still explain and describe these emotions as vividly as I possibly can because I want people to understand that I know what it feels like to be in their situation. I mean, there are a lot of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses watching my channel who have had, who are right now, 16-year-olds, kid. At this moment, I know of multiple, three, four of them, personally, that I talk to, who have been kicked out of their homes by their parents at 16, had to move out, living anywhere they can, living on the street, I mean, you, you know, you sit here and you say, that's illegal. They can't do that. That's true. That's illegal. But the parents aren't actually kicking the kids out. What they're doing is making the kid feel completely unloved, unwanted, uninteresting, until the kid doesn't want to be there anymore. And then they just leave. That's how it works. It's illegal to tell the kid to leave. So they make it so miserable that they don't want to be there anymore. That's how it works. I know of multiple, three or four, that I talk to regularly who are going through that right now. And the reason I talk about it on my channel is so that those kids understand that I know what it's like. I've been through it too. So anyway... Uh, go ahead. What's the next question? Okay. Uh, this one is, can someone be in a cult-like mindset without ever actually being in a cult? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can think of multiple examples right off the top of my head. I'm not going to name any names because name dropping is a total D-bag move. But um, think about this. If you know anybody who has 
an ideology that they stick to, that they really believe in, that they, you know, even if it's ostensibly based on science, it can still be a set of ideas and beliefs. Um, and if those ideas and beliefs are challenged or attacked, then they lock down into their position. They get this persecution complex. Uh, they have this extremist black versus white, us versus them kind of mentality about things. Think flat earth, okay? People who believe in the flat earth. They have this us versus them conspiracy mindset. Uh, these people are wrong. They're lying. All these others are lying. I mean, these uh, 50 corporations are lying. Big Globe is lying to us. You know, all the telescope manufacturers, all of the globe manufacturers, all the airlines, everybody's lying to us. And if you say otherwise, then you're persecuting me. If you won't hire me because of my beliefs, then you're persecuting me on flat earth. If NASA won't hire me to work on their rockets as a flat earther, then I'm being persecuted. You know, that kind of thing. I think that there's a lot of extremist mentality, not just like cults. I mean, obviously, so with the SJW anti-SJW debate, I'm not going to say that one or the other is a cult. I don't believe that. But there is extremist behavior. There is that cult-like mentality on both sides. Both SJWs and anti-SJWs have this, this uh, extremist cult-like mentality. Persecution complex, black versus white thinking, the whole nine yards. So anyway, yeah, what's the, what's the next question? You got one more for me? Yep. Uh, the next one is a fun one. Have you ever been hit on by a guy? <laughs> oh, yeah, constantly. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if it's happened in real life or just on the internet. Yeah, it's happened in real life, too. But mostly, like, since getting on YouTube, I get a lot of comments from guys saying how hot I am. It's not usually girls. I mean, girls, uh, girls do too sometimes. Typically, it's it's dudes. Yeah, I'm honored. I appreciate that, guys. <laughs> That's nice of you. Um, I am straight though, so it's kind of a lost cause. You're barking up the wrong tree, but I do appreciate that. The first guest I have here is um, ex-con Catholic. Okay, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you clearly. How's it going? I'm I'm doing great. It's good I to hear. Have, I finally have gotten my medical MJ license. Okay, nice. Uh, uh, which state do you live in? Do you want to say? You don't have to. I live in Denmark. Oh, okay. You live in Denmark. Excellent. So, how do you feel about yes. that? Like the I so for yes. the audience, you're talking about a medical marijuana license, right? Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Well, how it's do on you... trial, so you have to go through a lot of hoops. Yeah, I would imagine so. I think you have to go through a lot of hoops in the U.S. too. What do you think of it? Like, how do you feel about the whole thing? Are you pretty happy about it now? Yeah, I am, because I used to be an opioid addict too. Okay, nice. So we got something in common. Yeah, like, I took all... I used to be on patches, you know, fentanyl. Yeah, yep. I, took, I had collected all of mine and literally returned them to the multidisciplinary clinic the day med medical marijuana came on trial, on medical trial. Right. So I was like, here you go. Now give me my weed. Very interesting. So how's it been working out for you? It, I only had it since first day, so... There's eh. saying, okay. How are you feeling? I mean, are you feeling okay? Because I know that withdrawal from opioids can be pretty rough. Have you experienced any uh, of that? or? No, because I never used the opioids. I kept the boxes they sent me with patches sealed up. Well, at least you didn't get hooked on that because that, that's a really ugly yeah. road to go down, right? So they had to send me to a private clinic that are conducting the trial. Right. For reference, I don't recommend doing this. Since it's a clinical trial, that means there are scientists trying to determine what effects the drug has on drug-addicted patients. 
having a patient in the program who isn't being completely 100% truthful about their situation will skew the results and could potentially cause problems for medical marijuana later on. Being truthful in medical trials is extremely important. I also uncovered my family drama finally. Oh yeah, well, tell me about that. So last time you were telling me that there was some family drama you were going to tell me about, right? Yeah. Yeah, what, what's up that, with it? That is, I'm adopted. Oh, okay. Did Is this new information or? Yeah, it's like they kept that secret for me for 28 years. Jeez, how do you feel about it? It's like, it started with a DNA test that spurred on was spurred on by my mom's manipulative mm. behavior. Mm. So I was like, hmm, okay, I'll do it. Right. And because, because my mom is in jail for wire fraud and a lot of other shit, mm. yeah, that's what happens when you do a sugar daddy scam. Right. Oh. That's not good. But yeah, they had her DNA, and then I, it was easy to get my dad's. So this is your uh, adopted parents' DNA. Yeah, but but they, I'm actually related to my dad. Oh, you but, are like directly related. N no proximity related. Okay. Okay. Like, I'm with his you. sister was my mom. Oh, got you. Okay. So essentially, I found out that my cousin Terry is my sister. Geez, so how do you feel about that? Like, how, what was it like finding that out? It was like, okay, now I'm just gonna say fuck it, burn all the bridges, blow them up. So you're not really talking to anybody anymore in the family, or what? Uh, the only ones I'm key, I actually told my mom, never, next time I, you'll contact me, I will file a harassment complaint. Right. That's got to be rough. I can't even imagine. Um, I have had to cut almost everyone out of my life I've known because I've been... This was the... That hurt. Yeah. And I used to be yeah. Catholic, and I got excommunicated. Right. And it was, so, it was uh, even rougher than that then, you think? No. It was about the same thing. That's rough, man. I and mean, that's not good. What happened when you were excommunicated? Like, what was the deal? I was that? openly uh, in a in a relationship with a guy. Oh, okay. I, I guess that'll um, do it. They don't like that too much, do they? Yeah, and also having a kid outside marriage. Ugh. That's the second thing. And, and then there was the smoking cigarettes on school grounds. Uh, they my way of do is hindering fucking with bully bullies sorry right. for the swearing it's kind oh. of like it, it's almost archaic the way catholicism deals with a lot of issues nowadays isn't it yeah it is but it's like really you're going to throw a fit over you know somebody living with another guy or just I mean, the, a relationship issue? Seriously, give me a break. I, I was 16 when it happened. And when did the excommunication happen? Was that at 16? 16. Okay. Mm, I I became a dad at 15 and a half. Mm. As a, That's early. Uh, yeah, and then I had my gay rela bisexual relationship with that guy around my 16th birthday. Right. So. And I and I got thrown out of by my parents. You got thrown out of your house by your parents, you say? Yeah, literally. Like at sixteen or so. Fifteen. Mm. At Christmas, two thousand five. That's ridiculous, it was, man. It I, was minus twelve degrees Celsius outside. Right. What did you do? I had to go up to fucking social services and sit and wait till they opened the next morning. That's outrageous. It's... But I got emancipated, which means I got my own apartment. Right. I got a job. Are I you got... happy about, like, the way things have gone in the end? Like, how do you feel about the end result of everything? I was... The end result gave yeah. me a lot... 
I I had to grow up a lot more fast. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I heard your story, but at 15, I was emancipated. Yeah, that's earlier than me. That's a lot earlier than me. Yeah, my parents had to pay child support to me. Really? They did? Yeah, the, the courts actually told them so. That's not a bad deal, actually. I mean, be better if they just took care of you, but... Yeah, $450 every month. That's enough to probably pay for an apartment, I imagine. I mean, I don't, I don't know the economy there, but it probably no, would be here. It was about, it, it's about half the rent. Okay. So it covered 50% of the rent, and then I did a lot of shit in my teens I'm not proud of. Yeah, I know. Me too. What about, like, but, um, so what about school? Did you ever get to finish school, or? Um, I dropped out, personally. I dropped out of high school. Here, if you get kicked out in eighth grade, they kind of use your midterm as final exam. Oh, really? So okay. I actually went out with an A+. Plus. Hmm. That's not a bad deal, actually. Really? No, and here we only go to school for for nine grades. Really? Only nine yeah. grades? Yeah. Huh. So did you and ever end you... up uh, going to college or anything? Nope, because I I didn't I I actually I ended up going to high school. High school is optional because you don't need that for trade schools, mm, right? Like Jeff Carpenter, painter. Sure, but it's a it's a long story. But but yeah, I I went to high school after after I finished the uh, after I finished my some other shit I've done where right. I got a prison prison sentence. Mm. So that happens, actually, I, you know, that yeah. happens when people are, but my prison sentence was two years military service. Well, uh, yeah. I guess that's better than sitting in a cell, right? How was it? How did it yeah. work out? It worked out. Okay. I got after that, I to pay from to actually pay for an apartment while I was studying. I worked as a, wild care like an animal care technician huh for wild for wild animals building feeding stations finding them if they got like wounded by hunters that couldn't that's actually right. kind of cool yeah that that's i mean that's a skill do you use that today or no yeah oh, i don't shame. sadly not that, that's cool they, though i mean that's a cool little career path yeah. that you could have gone down if you wanted to yeah but they made they made cutbacks so yeah. i got fired oh. and uh and i quit college uh, real fast anyway yeah. because i flunked out because uh somebody stole my paper stole your paper yeah he stole my paper and presented it as his own oh that's messed up really yeah. God, what is that about? Like, what is wrong with some people? Seriously. Yeah, and and the university was like, not our problem. Solve You've got to be kidding me. That's no. ridiculous, man. Some people just don't give a shit about anybody but themselves. Seriously. Well, anyway, yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on. It's been a really interesting story. And uh, maybe we can get you on again sometime, okay? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I don't know. It's... It's an all-too-familiar story, honestly. Um, people don't realize how often this happens. Pe you know, kids kicked out at a really young age. They're not, like I said, they're not necessarily kicked out. Like, ex-con uh, ex Catholic was kicked out. Like, outright kicked out. But a lot of the time what happens is the parents tell the kids they don't want them there anymore. And stop talking to them. They won't eat dinner with them anymore. They won't do anything. They won't even look at them anymore. And the kid just doesn't want to be there anymore. It's better to live on the street than to be in an environment where you're hated like that. It's really painful stuff. Next person on the list is KSA Dark Ace. Are you there? Can you hear me? <laughs> Hell yeah, my brother. How's it going? Uh, good. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay, yes. So, uh, Am I a little loud? Um, 
well, you were, but I adjusted it, so it's good. You're perfect. So anyway, uh, yeah, tell me, like, what religion are you from originally? Are you still religious, or? Um, uh, I've actually been a part of three religions. Yeah. Um, so, I was Christian, and then I became Catholic after I was kicked out of my Christian church. Wait, and, so um, you were Christian, and then you were Catholic. Yeah, so, so because I was actually kicked out of my Christian church because, um my age apparently wasn't what they wanted to help spread it i don't understand right. i actually don't understand what was going on but um so i ended up swapping to catholic and um then um i ended up at the age of eight getting um molested and so i ended up just shutting myself out from the whole world yeah and um I hear all you guys talking about your like your your like your challenges, and they yeah. are huge. And I'm like, well, I'm just over here. I was molested and raped. Yeah, that's not good. Oh. That's bad, and it's a familiar story. I know a lot of people who that happened to. So, how are yeah, you dealing it, with it now? Are you dealing with it okay? Have you made it through? What What's the end result? Well, my end result right now is crippling depression for life. Yeah. It's not necessarily um, for life, though, you know. There are options that, like, my, like talking to a therapist about it, possibly getting medicine, depending on your situation. Well, yeah, the thing is, is basically what it, what, what it, my doctor means, what it means is when it's crippling, basically, is means I'm always going to be reliant on a substance. Like, uh, okay. for right now, I'm on a Citropram. So chronic. Ciprolect. Chronic is what you're uh, referring to, well, right? Well, he's... Is it crippling? I don't know what he's... He said it was crippling. It okay, might be chronic. Okay. My doctor might just be a dumbass sometimes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So anyways, but, um, do you take medicine for it? I mean, you don't have to say if yeah. you don't want to. Okay, you do. That's yeah, good. No, I take medicine every day. Otherwise, uh, my depression will actually sink so deep. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't even think killing myself would be worth the effort. Yeah, well, killing yourself isn't a, a good idea either way. That's never a good option. But well, I know that, but that's just how it feels. I know, like you I know become so empty. I know. I do know. Uh, you know, honestly, I've been lucky enough that I haven't really had to face that problem myself. But I do know a lot of people that have had to deal with it, and I know it's not easy. I I don't understand it, but it's hard. It's it's hard to imagine. But the best I can do is stand by the people who have to deal with it. So you're, you know, you're taking medicine and you seem to be doing okay. Is that the case or no? Well, 29 knows me probably the best. Mm. And um, I, I've actually had ended up having to call her a couple times. Yeah. Because um, no matter how strong you feel when you're like on meds, like, in a way, it kind of gives you a small piece of what you used to be back. It's it's not ever going to be the same once, right. once you're kind of on it. Like, you almost become afraid to go back to it. Like, mm. it's genuinely terrifying. Yeah. Well, I know that, um, like, growing up... Uh, and, and going through the experiences that I went through and, and other people having gone through their experiences, it has irrevoca I'm sorry, irrevocably changed us. We are different people as a result of that. But personally, yeah. I have tried to embrace who I am as a result of that and use it to prevent it from happening to others. That's what I've tried to do. Have you ever thought about getting involved in some kind of activism or anything? Actually, actually, yeah, I did. Um, when I was ten years old, two years after I was molested. Yeah. Um, I actually, um, so I ended up going to a woman's shelter with my mother. Yeah. Because my dad became so hostile towards us, it was, yeah, he actually did hit me, and I do have a dent in the back of my head from him hitting me with a stone pan. Yeah, I've been there actually. I understand. Really? Yep. That was actually one of my questions. Have you actually ever suffered abuse? Yes, I have. Um, my dad was very physically abusive. Um, although it, w it was like he's bipolar, so it was ah. kind of like in every 
six weeks kind of thing. He would like just physically attack me, just come at me. And, um, yeah. And that was like every six weeks from about, I don't know, 11 years old until 17, somewhere in there. And, uh, so yeah, I have physical scars too. Yeah. So, um, the one time I went to, uh, the hospital, um, we actually didn't know that I had a dent in the back of my head and we were taking x-rays for my mouth because I, I, the one time I fell actually, and I hit my head off the curb. Right. Oh God. Yeah. So, so I was a very clumsy child. Like I'm somehow I managed to break steel pots and pans. Yeah. I broke them off everything apparently. That is insane. So what's like, uh, I guess your mom, you and your mom seem to be, you know, in a good relationship or. It, it's very hard to like explain because yeah. I technically don't have a good relationship with anybody. Mm. I, um, after I was molested and raped, yeah. uh, as I said, I shut myself out from the world. Yeah. Uh, that ended up taking up four years of my life. Mm. And I am 16 now. Well, how, 17 actually. How do you feel about that? Do you think that... Can you think of a better way that you might have dealt with it? Or are you happy with how things have played out? Are you happy with how you've dealt with the situation after that happened? Uh, no. But if anyone has gone through what I have gone through and does don't know how to deal with it, my only advice to you is... Mm. Do not do what I did, because you will regret it so much later on. Don't shut yourself on. in, you mean? Don't shut yourself out from the world. Reach out for help. Like, even if it's just going to a force to scream. Yeah, I think that like, uh, that's sound advice. I definitely think that uh, you should reach out and talk to others, especially who have had similar experiences, and or a therapist who can, you know, work through that stuff with you. She's because I'm actually reading all the chat right now, and a lot of yeah. people are saying they wouldn't be brave enough to speak out about this. Yeah. The thing is, is I've been in counseling since I was six years old. Yeah, uh, I've been I've been in tiny rooms, white padded rooms, straight jackets. Right. Like I've been, I've been in so many different types of suits. So you don't really feel um, what's the word I'm looking for? You don't feel shy about discussing it. I guess is what you're saying. You know, no, because you, you can say it a hundred thousand times and like it only gets easier every tenth time. Yeah. Like I get some people will be still self-conscious about it and that's fine. That's that's who you are. Yeah. But the thing is, is like the only way you can actually get better is by reaching out to it. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. Um, I don't think that... Uh, yeah, I don't think that it would be helpful to say that anybody's looking for attention. Um, either way, I am glad that you're getting help. And actually, I appreciate that you're coming on here and talking about that. And I appreciate that you're giving the message that you're giving, saying that people should reach out for help, because that's extremely important. And there aren't very many people that are willing to talk about it, because it's a hard thing to discuss. Um, even at this moment, like I'm still fighting back tears, because yeah. it is still so hard to talk about it but i'm yeah. so comfortable that i just sound confident about it it's yeah. just it's so hard and it's so draining every time you talk about it yeah i can't you imagine. know like you hear the you hear these stories about stranger danger yeah but when you're lost in a forest and you don't know where the fuck you are like it's it's so different like you hear these people talk about how what what they would do how how they would save yeah, the game yeah and it's just like shut the fuck up man unless you're in the situation you can't understand you can't really put yourself there adequately right it's it's so hard not to beat some people's brains in when they talk like oh i would just beat my captor up when yeah. he's 300 pounds more than you yeah I agree. That's that's counterproductive and unrealistic. He could just sit on you and he, he would kill you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And like I said, I appreciate you coming on and talking about it because it is an important message. Was there one last thing you wanted to to say? I mean, if there was one thing that you could, one message you could give to people uh, who are dealing with this actively right now, what would that one thing be? Sorry, give me a sec. I'm actually crying again. Uh, Damn it's it. okay. No problem. Um... My my only word is is 
never give up. No matter how dark it seems, there's always a way to make it out. Even if it's the light, just a flicker at the end of the tunnel and it goes out, do not let go. Keep pushing. Run forward and try and chase it down. I don't ever give up. This is the only life you have. Yeah, I can agree with that. And I appreciate you coming on and talking about it again. uh, We'll talk to you on the server, okay? All right. And before I go, say hello to my girlfriend, Ronnie. Uh, Hi, Ronnie. She's she's probably on the live stream on YouTube. Oh, hi. Hi, Ronnie. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. Thanks for coming. Yeah. um, Do you know, like, the one thing that abusers want and hope for? is they are hoping that their victims aren't going to say anything. They're afraid that their victims are going to say something. I can't blame anybody for not speaking out. I cannot blame you for keeping quiet uh, at all. Like I said, I've never been through it. I can't even imagine it myself. But... The one thing that you can do to help others, the one thing that you can do to get justice for yourself is by speaking out. I hope that you guys consider that if you've ever been through it. It's so extremely important that you speak out. Okay, uh, the last person I wanted to get on for the night was Omega... O'Reilly, I think. Uh, give me one second to find the Omega Riley. I, I added an extra O in there. Can you hear me? Are you there? Yeah. Hey. Uh, how's it going? Um, doing all right. You know, happy I was able to make the podcast tonight. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what was your religion originally? Are you still religious? You're not, right? Uh, no, I am not. I am currently a atheist. Uh, I was raised as Jehovah's Witness. Very cool. So a fellow Je- or a fellow ex Jehovah's Witness. So tell me about right. growing up as a Jehovah's Witness. What was it like for you? Um, it was a really interesting experience because, uh, as a kid, it was you know it was all I had. There are not a lot of young Jehovah's Witnesses in my area, at least at the time. So. It was me and maybe three other kids at any given time. And just due to how things worked out, I was never able to really talk to them. And being, you know, very into the religion, my family wouldn't let me talk to worldly kids. So I never really had any friends growing up whatsoever. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, So you didn't really have any friends growing up, like all the way through what, like 18 or so? Like, how old are you now? When did Um, you leave? I turned 19 last Friday. Okay, well, happy birthday then. Well, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I really didn't have any worldly friends whatsoever until I was probably about 13, 14. Okay. There was one kid that I grew up down the street my parents deemed harmless enough that I would talk to all the time, and that was really my only friend until I got into junior high school or yeah. middle school, however similar you call it in your area. Me, so I know what you mean. Right, and... um. It wasn't until that time uh, that I had kind of started having my first skeptical thoughts. I was always very uh, scientifically oriented kid. You know, I always loved studying how things work, why things work. This was 13 and, you or know, 14? Uh, yeah, probably around that area. Okay. Um, I started asking my first couple questions and I hated myself for it because mm. I was just terrified of all these horrible thoughts I could have against my God and creator and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um. But I kind of stopped earnestly practicing when I was about 13. But I continued going to meetings and answering at the Kingdom Hall and all that until I was about 15 before I actually got the courage to say something to my mother. What did Um, she say? What was her reaction? It couldn't have been good. It wasn't spectacular. I, I will say, considering how much worse it could have been, I'm very thankful for it. Because while she was much less than happy, she didn't kick me out. Okay, that's uh, that's yeah. something, right? Yeah, and uh, I find it really interesting because as much as devout she was, um, then she recently also began questioning things more and more. Well, I don't know if that's correct to say. She, she recently disassociated with the religion. She still completely believes that it's the truth and that it's the correct way of living. But she began living a lifestyle which in no way is congruent with how a Jehovah's Witness should live. She began um, 
a polyamorous relationship. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah, that was a little bit of a shell shock to ram from good Christian mother to that. I know. <laughs> um, that's crazy. So what like what happened with that? What was the end result? Um well, she's been uh with her current boyfriend for about a year. Um before that, it was uh her and two other women with one uh gentleman. That's crazy, uh, man. Yeah. Oh, it gets better. My favorite part is that for a period of somewhere between a year and six months, one of her, as I always jokingly called them, sister wives lived with us. Oh, man. So what, like, I'm sorry, what's up with your dad? Was he not in the picture really or what? Um, I, I have an interesting kind of relationship with my father figures i refer to them as pedophile dad abusive dad and murderer dad okay all right i'm with you that and, makes uh, sense yeah so this is in my lifetime this is her fourth legitimate relationship that she's been in she's got bad luck with relationships doesn't she yeah a little bit uh this time around i will say that the guy she's with and she is they have been in a monogamous relationship for about a year now Okay, so they've been in a monogamous relationship, you said? Yes, okay. uh, with the uh, gentleman that she was in the polygamous relationship Okay, with. all right. I will say that he does seem to have her best interest at heart, and he is earnestly a very nice guy. Okay, that's something. It would have been nice if, yeah. you know, maybe they'd found each other, like, when you were a lot younger, wouldn't have to go through all the other stuff, right? But I mean, it is what it is. No use crying over spilled right, milk. right. You know, it builds character, all those things. Right, right. <laughs> God. Character, that's the word. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. But anyway, yeah, that's uh, crazy. So uh, when did, like, wh- how old were you when your mom kind of started going down the wrong path in Jehovah's Witnesses' eyes? I would have been 17 at the time. Okay, so it's not been that long. Though, well, that's when she overtly started doing things against it, though there were there was a considerable period of time before that where she was doing things that were not necessarily in lines but they wouldn't have been anything that would have had her talked to right okay yeah like she was um she was seeing people outside the religion that kind of thing oh yeah yeah that's and um this frowned upon right and her uh, second husband my stepdad uh he was um outside of the religion as well okay so we lived with us for uh probably six years and i assume they were married Um, right yes yes they were married after a period of time he lived with us for about a year beforehand so the jehovah's witnesses didn't really have much to say about that i guess it was it was kept very much under wraps i believe gotcha i don't know i find it interesting because i feel like a lot of the witnesses in our area they're not as rabid and devoted as i'd always seen it so i think that kind of helped a lot to make me think oh we're not the crazy ones right are you in the U.S. or in another country? Yes, I'm in Washington State, okay. uh, south of Seattle. Fascinating. Like, it's a super... It sounds like it's a, it's, it's a little bit different there than in most places. I, I guess so. I think it's just because, you know, you kind of have that area... You could really think of the Bethel as the epicenter, and I guess mm-hmm. it gets a little bit more relaxed as you get further away from it. Yeah, and actually come to think of it um i cannot speak to this personally because i've never witnessed any of this but i have heard a lot of stories from jehovah's witnesses about congregations being involved in like wife swapping and polygamous relationships oh, with wow. each other and stuff you know i i can't verify any of that but uh yeah you know, i've heard that it that's, happens so that's really fascinating yeah it's like really just so completely different from what they teach you know and their culture and everything it's bizarre so how do you feel about the religion now like where do you stand with it um for the longest time even though i'd kind of fallen out of it i had still really believed in a lot of the core beliefs and i wouldn't even bat an eye at some of the weirdest things and i remember uh, probably about a year ago i uh, watched my first video by you you were really the first person to get me to uh, really look at things awesome. with a critical eye and i remember it was the um how to troll jehovah's witnesses video yeah and i looked at it as you would kind of expect someone in a witness mindset to think i was like oh how is this scum of the earth yep. going to 
dare bring about my all that. Yeah. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, that was actually like really well thought out and yeah. all that kind of thing. I was like, man, you brought me here with the clickbait title. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. <laughs> um, and from there, I just kind of started watching more and more and realizing how many of these beliefs and how many of these biases I had were just absurd. Like the fact that I had never thought of shunning someone entirely as something that shouldn't happen. Yeah. Got the chance to look at things a little bit more objectively and see how yeah. reasonable it was. Yeah, that makes sense. A little bit of that out-of-body experience kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you found your way out, seriously, and I'm glad that I could have some small part yeah. in that. That that makes me happy. I'm glad to hear that. I really appreciate that, man. Yeah, yeah. And again, happy birthday, and thanks for coming on and talking to me. It's been interesting, all right? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, man. Uh, I'll probably sign up and see when I can get on here again. Uh, yeah, that sounds time. good. That sounds good. I'll talk all to right. you next time, okay? Yeah, been a pleasure. All right. Yeah, that's really uh, that's really crazy. Um. I think that's one of my most viewed videos, the How to Troll Jehovah's Witnesses video. Uh, that's, in that video, I think it's up to like 500,000 views or something now, somewhere in there. Uh, I go into it as though I'm explaining what to do when a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, how to fuck with them. Um, but I start talking about my own experience with it and how... When I was 10, I had dogs released on me when I was knocking on doors. And any sane, honest, reasonable, good person knows that that is wrong. That is not okay to do to a 10-year-old. Uh, with the circuit overseer is who I was with. Um, so I, I guess the video kind of accomplished its goal to show people that it's wrong to mistreat people, no matter who they are. Jehovah's Witness, Mormon atheist anybody it's just wrong to mistreat people just don't do that anyway i'm glad that it i'm glad it accomplished its goal and yeah we're coming to the end i appreciate you guys coming on and giving this a listen uh that's the end of our time and i will talk to you guys next week